Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. You didn't really have a job per se, and that's what you want to change now. Well, yeah, I, to defend myself, before I moved to the UK, I wasn't George Best's son, I was Callum Best, and I was doing well for myself. Callum Best is a man known for making a splash. But it's been a long time since we've seen the celebrity socialite's name in the news. In recent days, though, that changed. As the reality TV star and son of legendary footballer George Best faced a grilling in a Spanish court over sexual assault charges stemming from an incident in 2022. I would love to see you settling down. Well, I know I got myself into trouble when I got out of the house going to a nightclub, but it isn't all about nightclubs for me. You know, I, I run a gym and, and I just finished a film and things are really upbeat. I'm Ellen Coyne, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by pop culture journalist and broadcaster Jen Gannon to discuss the latest allegations around the former star and how the naughty tabloid culture that first made him famous has changed. So Jen, most of us will know him as the son of the legendary footballer George Best and a lot of people would be familiar with him as a kind of reality TV star and someone who dominated tabloid headlines in the noughties. But Callum Best is back in the news this week for all the wrong reasons. Can you tell us a little bit about why he is catching headlines again? Yeah, he's been tried in Spain um, over an alleged sexual assault. He has the threat of a three-year prison sentence now hanging over him. The trial began on Tuesday and it was regarding an incident in a club, which is Gary Lineker's old brother's club, Wayne. And it's a very famous club in San Antonio, in Ibiza, where a lot of reality stars are invited over to be guests. And it's a very Instagrammable place. Um, and he apparently had an incident with a woman who is accusing him of sexual assault. And when did this alleged incident happen? Do we um, know? It was back in 2022, in April of 2022. This is the first time we found out about this. So at the time when there was an arrest, it wasn't actually in the news no, at all. No, it wasn't. And I mean, I suppose like this has come to light now with the trial beginning and with 
our whole notion of who Callum Best is. Look, with these kind of incidences, you know yourself that it, it does take time for them to go through the courts. But I will say that, you know, the Spanish authorities are taking this very seriously. As I said, there will be like a three-year prison sentence hanging over his head if he is found guilty. And there will also be certain clauses in it where he's not allowed in the vicinity of this woman who made the claim, but also that an eight-year ban on, on working with minors if found guilty. And as you mentioned, we're a few days into this trial now. The woman who accused him did give some evidence herself. I think she testified actually via video link. Mm. Can you take us through what she says happened that night? I mean, she says that she admitted to agreeing to the kiss on the lips in the smoking area of the club. And they had this previous disagreement about a selfie with her friend. She said that she shot a video and Callum Best was in the background and he was not happy with this and he wanted her to delete the video. And then after she kissed him to apologise or to make up for this video being filmed, he said he wanted to show her something and then took her hand and guided her around the corner of the club where nobody could see and then put her hand into his shorts to touch him. And she said that, you know, he was forcing her to do this. This wasn't something that she wanted to do, obviously. And she said she wasn't expecting it at all. And she, you know, felt that this was wrong and she felt that she'd been violated. And she remembers going back to her friend and saying that, you know, her friend instantly knew that something was wrong. She was shook. She said she started crying and having a panic attack. And she spoke to the security guard of the club straight away afterwards. And they just laughed it off. Wow. And Mm. for his part, what is Callum Best saying? I mean, he has remained completely impassive about this. He's, you know, very quiet in court, obviously protesting his innocence, but for the moment hasn't really engaged in this. And I think with a lot of these kind of cases, I think for celebrities especially, they're just hoping that they'll go away or there won't be commented on. We just have to see how this will play out in court. But he is obviously denying that this was anything but consensual. And apart from denying it and, as you said, they're protesting his innocence, he was kind of using his time in court to put forward his theories for why his accuser had brought forward these claims. I think he was focusing a lot on how much he had drank. Yeah. And also just using the fact that, like, the situation was awkward as in being followed around by people and what do people want from you? And you have these incidences a lot where, you know, girls will kind of be around him and want to be around him because of the reputation that he has. He's saying he has remade himself as somebody who is drinking less or not drinking at all. So that kind of goes against this rehabilitated image of himself that he did have in the press for the past while, at least. I was just depressed, you know, and I lived in London. I had no family around. I didn't talk to my dad's side of the family. My mom was in the States. But you know who welcomed me in with open arms? The bar owners, dude, and I was happy to go. I was out every night drinking. That went on for a few years. Luckily, I fought through that, and uh, I like to think I've come out on top the past five, six years of my life. I'm the healthiest I've ever been. I think that's so interesting to talk about his rehabilitated image, because I suppose for a lot of the 2000s, he was like omnipresent Mm. in tabloids and in reality television. Yeah. Obviously, you know, he was kind of born a celebrity to be because he is the son of George Best. Mm. Can you take us back to 
when he first came into the spotlight, when we first got to know Callum Best in his own right, how did he kind of become a celebrity? I mean, in a way, there has never been a Callum Best in his own right because he, growing up as the son of George Best, he feels himself, I think, and a, a lot of his interviews over the years have been like, this name is like an albatross around my neck. I can never escape from this. I was the son of George Best and George Best was one of the biggest legends in the UK. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud of that and I'm very blessed. But like I said, there was a point, you know, for the past maybe four or five years where I wasn't in best form and I was doing these shows because at the end of the day, I was George Best's kid. So, you know, from the get-go, from when we first knew him, when he kind of burst onto the scene in his early 20s, he was a model in America, you know, he was born in America and then would visit the UK every year to spend time with George. And then, you know, got a name for himself. So he thinks from the get-go, people were going to know him anyway, regardless. So he was going to feed into that. And, you know, just to say, this was a time in the early noughties where there was no real reality TV, as in you weren't making a living out of it. This was before Kardashians, before Made in Chelsea, before, you know, The Only Way is Essex, before Love Island or anything like that. And there was an era of Heat magazine, which was the most read magazine at the time, like it was a weekly. And they made this canny decision because they knew they weren't going to get interviews with Victoria Beckham every week. They weren't going to get interviews with, you know, your Hollywood stars, because at that time, Hollywood were not playing the fame game in that direct way. And those stars wanted to be left alone. The interviews were very pure, manicured. So then this other class of celebrity appeared. And I can reveal that the ninth person to leave the Big Brother house will be... Jade! I'm John Brown and I'm here with the very lovely Jordan. How are you? I'm absolutely knackered. There's a, an unofficial book at the moment with the news of the world coming out. So uh, I know it's a bit too early, but I've decided to do an official book myself. Instead of being hired for films or whatever, they were just doing the jobs that A-list celebrities didn't want to do. They were opening nightclubs at Dagenham. They were going to the opening of an envelope because that was what they thought, you know, they had this name. So you had people like Kimberly Stewart or Bianca Gascoigne, who are both ex-paramours of Callum Best PS, by the way. But they had this name anyway, name recognition. So they were doing this alongside, let's say, the socialites, the Tamara Beckwiths of the world as well. So that was this totally different class of celebrity that Callum Best was involved with. So he would give them stories. He would have outrageous behaviour. And that was the kind of setup of his symbiotic relationship with the tabloids, with the Sun, the Star, with the Daily Mail, with Heat magazine, where he would do something crazy or outrageous to fuel the headlines. And they would give him interviews. They would give him press subsequently. So that became his career almost, like between that and this new reality TV that came along in the early noughties. Love Island was a celebrity Love Island in the beginning. And he was in the first incarnation in 2005 and also in the second incarnation in 2006. So they got him back again because he was such good TV. Sophie just had some nerve to say to me she wouldn't trust to sleep in the same bed with me. And I just want to say I wouldn't even want to share a bed with her anyway, mate. I've been nothing but a gentleman and respectful and she can say something like that. It's very minor. I just wanted to get that point across and that's it. And he ended up winning in 2006. And that kind of started his career where he would do everything with a celebrity prefix he has been on. Celebrity come dine with me, you know, celebrity the salon, celebrity everything, like celebrity car wash. Like he has been 
through them all. But like this has been 20 years. Like you might forget about Callum Best. You might think about him in the background. He's still there churning away at these celebrity reality shows. Like 2022, he won Celebrity SAS on Channel 4. So he's still there doing that. This is his career. He even came over here, I think, to do Celebrity Banished Door. He won in 2015. He won that. When I sat down with everybody in the locker room and the guy came in who is a, a GAA legend and he sat there and he preached to us and he kind of, it was so overwhelming. I thought, oh my goodness, what I got myself into. You'll be a lot of clubs. You'll all in time arrive into the dressing room. They'll be there. Some of them will look at you suspiciously. What could he or she know about them? So, I mean, this is what he does day to day. I would think of him more so almost in that way of being like Katie Price. Yeah. Katie Price made a career out of selling every inch of her soul for press to remain in the public eye. And that is something that you have to live with. That is a big decision to make. And we've seen her trials and tribulations and we've seen her sell every story about every man that she's been with and writing these books or having them ghostwritten for her, a series of books. And Callum Best was on that trajectory. He went out with very famous women. You know, he had a very turbulent relationship with Sarah Harding mm -hmm. from Girls Aloud. And we know her own demons that she had with drinking. Um, he was seen with Lindsay Lohan. He made a big deal about being with Lindsay Lohan. Um, as I said, Bianca Gascoigne, Kimberly Stewart. But he wrote in detail about all of this. He would have a couple of autobiographies. And then it was very rare to open a Sunday paper at one stage and not see some kind of Callum Best kiss and tell. And you never knew if the person that sold the story, if he was in on it too, getting a cut of this money or not. So this kind of love rat Lothario image was him for the whole of the 2000s. And part of his public image that he traded on that got him into the newspapers was this kind of debaucherous behaviour which a lot of people thought harked back to some of the vices of his dad, like the, yeah. the kind of womanizing and the drinking. But I'm really interested throughout his, I suppose, career as a tabloid celebrity. How did he talk about his dad and what do we know about the relationship that he had with George Best? It was almost like he was creating, if you wanted to think of it that way, a caricature of the other side. He leaned into the other side, the notorious side of his father. Like his father was plagued by these demons. Uh, because he was a very talented footballer, as in this was outside of his talent, whereas Callum Best was using those almost as a jumping off point for a career, like to be a womanizer, to be a drinker. It was like living up to the worst side of his father's legacy, which is a very strange thing to do. It's almost like I don't want to go down a normal career path so I can amp this kind of caricature up of this Larry lad about town to make money, which seems very dark to me. Um, and then, you know, he did come out, like, I think it was 2013 with a biography about his father, you know, my dad and me. And there was controversial enough at the time, I think, especially in Belfast, in Northern Ireland, in George Best's home, because I think people felt it was quite tawdry, as in we had had a, nearly almost a decade of Callum Best's bad behaviour. And then he chose to write this warts and all biography of what his relationship was like with his father, which was very difficult at the time with a man who, you know, was struggling with many demons. The craziest thing about my dad is that I'd get to the Feeney and everyone would be like, oh my God, your dad's been talking about you so long. He's been so excited to see you. He's thrilled to bits. And I'd get here and my dad would go on a bender. 
yes, it was hard to read. Like there is some shocking incidences that are described in that book about him being abandoned when he would come and see him or, you know, George Best accusing him of having relationships with his own girlfriends. And it does seem like a very difficult relationship. But I think nobody was happy in those certain circles to hear all those kind of gossipy stories about somebody that they see as a legend. But also, I think it's just the fact that it felt like another jumping off point for him to move into a different area of his life, whereas when you're selling your soul in that way, when you're continuously selling stories about yourself, it's hard for the public not to kind of raise an eyebrow about what is the end game to this or why are you doing this? So there was some scepticism about the book. Like, do we know from it... Did they have a close relationship? Before? He would see him every year. He was brought to the UK to see him every summer and spend time with him. But we don't really know how much time he was spending or in what condition George was at the time. I mean, I do think it's a, a very difficult situation. I'm not denying that. And I do think he had hard times. And I think his mother, Angie, you know, is very close. They have a very close relationship and a very loving relationship. And I think we don't know really what went on behind closed doors 100%. We have, you know, Callum's version of events in that book. But I do think that, yes, they did see him. It wasn't as if it was a completely abandonment ship. There was a relationship there. And one of the things that you kind of had to trade on if you were a naughty's celebrity was like trading your intimacy, I suppose. Yes. And there was a whole like media ecosystem around which celebrities were sleeping with each other. Mm. And Calm Best really lent into oh, that. Oh, dug into that. Dug into that. Yeah. I mean, in a major way. So as I said, like, you know, he was constantly in the spotlight for these relationships. And you don't know half the time if they were like faux-mances. Right. Where it would be like a showmance, where it would be concocted through the media. And we know like from looking at someone like Max Clifford's, Back in the day, he would set up stories a lot of the time for the newspapers. He would manufacture relationships for celebrities to keep them in the limelight. We don't know how much of these were genuine because when that is your career, you have to keep it rolling by any means possible. So you see him on something like Love Island. He has this reputation as being this playboy. He is going to play up to that. So as I said, there's like a litany of famous women of the naughties that had had quote unquote, relationships with him, but he didn't spare any detail. And there was no discretion because there couldn't be, because those headlines had to be fueled. And I think when people look back on that now, they look back on it very differently because we have changed as a culture, as a society, we've changed. And back then it was very leery. It was very lads, lads, lads. You know, it was the era of when Chris Evans was married to Billy Piper, they were doing tours of pubs. You would see them every day outside a pub with like Gaz's mate, Jimmy Five Bellies. Like that was what was happening. You know, you would see Katie Price and you would see Jodie Marsh on Tea Time Telly. Like these glamour models where next to nothing would be on like anything on TV. From this morning to TFI Friday, they would be everywhere. And being very sexualized in the media, graphically so, before the watershed. And that was acceptable. It was the era of a beat the uncovered. It was, you know, where nobody thought anything about taking pictures of female celebrities upskirting them, taking pictures of their private parts, like without their knowledge all the time. That was acceptable. It was that era. And I suppose it's obviously risky if you try to trade on attention or you mm. try to make your living on attention because attention is obviously fleeting and in parallel to this very serious sexual assault allegation he's also in a little bit of a, of a financial difficulty he at the moment is, as well. Yeah, I mean this is the problem because I think a lot of the time you have to almost legitimise yourself. As you said, like there is no point in trying to 
mill this for all it's worth. And, you know, this man is in his 40s now. Like, so that's another thing. And I think uh, about maybe 10 years ago, he decided to change things around. And I know actually even when he won money for Celebrity Big Brother, he invested it in this company. So it was trouble to triumph. And they're in severe financial difficulties and they went into liquidation. They owe around £85,000 and a further £3,000 to creditors as well. And then he also owes himself around £50,000 because he took a director's loan. So this is all happening in tandem with this court case. So that's a whole other state of affairs that he is in. I feel like over the last few years, there has been a bit of a reckoning with the way that media engage with celebrities in the noughties. And we've mainly started to kind of revise the way we looked at women and spoke about women and treated women. And I feel like people like Britney Spears, even Katie Price, Jodie Marsh, we've kind of revised their histories. And I feel like that hasn't really happened for male celebrities Mm. like Callum Best. Do you think that when he was in the tabloids, Was he in control? I think it's very difficult because if you get into that kind of Fausty impact with the tabloids, which he did for a very long time, I think people will be surprised when they think about Callum Best because you don't really think about Callum Best. And then he's in the newspapers and you're thinking, that's 20 years of mining this kind of career. I think what happened was there was a point where not only did, you know, society change in that way in relation to famous women, but reality TV changed as well. And he wasn't part of that change. I think when you look at someone like Katie Price, it's a a hard road when you get to a certain age as those kind of celebrities, those, if you want to say Z-list celebrities, they have it difficult when they get older because there's all this new crop of young people coming up. Every year there's a new person from Love Island. And now with the level that influencers are at, there's all of them coming through as well. And they're smart. They have seen your mistakes. They know what they're doing. And also there's other reality TV celebrities that take the money and then disappear. And he didn't get out in time or didn't want to. And I think he's been plateauing for a very, very long time. And doesn't understand the new media in that way, which is sad in a way, because, you know, when you're 24 and indulging in that kind of behaviour, it's very different doing that to being 42 or 43 doing that. And my thanks to Jen Gannon. I'm Ellen Coyne, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Ian Doyle, researched by Dave Hanrity, with sound by John Smith. Archive clips from Good Morning Britain, Five News, The Daily Show on RTE1, and The Irish Independent. And if you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agus Suligum, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashi Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestian Echol. Vientolamaginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.